I think we have all heard it said already, a, a praying family stays together. And I'd like just to extend that to the church family as uh, what we were experiencing these last couple days. I think a praying church body stays together as well. Let's pray just diligently for the needs in our congregation. And, and God bless you as, as you do that. You heard this before, but I'd like to go back to Wednesday night and repeat what you heard. And I have uh, two notes of thanksgiving. I mean, two notes of praise and one note of thanksgiving. Number one, thank the Lord for the beautiful weather on Wednesday night. Number two, thank the Lord for bringing people out. I was surprised, almost shocked at the amount of people that were walking around in Myerstown on Wednesday night. And another thanksgiving, the number three, is to you. And thank you for being there on Wednesday night and making it all possible. I know Zach had said that. I don't think he's going to mind if I repeat it. God bless you. I, I left there just so, so blessed. I'm not saying we're going to do it every Christmas, but I'm not saying it would be a bad thing if we did. But thank you. And it was, it was so nice. I was so blessed in so many ways. A little experience I had. I had, uh, I forget the exact number, six ladies on, on the back of the pickup, and we were going around handing out things. And I told my rider, which was Daryl Sestek, I said, well, the energy of these people is unbelievable. I kept the back window, and they'd say, stop, Dad, or Megan was along, she would say that. So I'd stop and run here and run there. And, it, of course, it was dark. I'm thinking, where, where are they going? And, oh, they seen someone, you know, one time we were driving on the road, and other pickup, someone jumped off and ran back a walkway. Like, where are they going? Oh, there, someone was standing on the porch. <clears throat> I say that to say it was a blessing. Moving along here, uh, my son and I had a little bit of a discussion of when the Christmas message should be preached. Do we preach it six days before Christmas, or do we preach it uh, 12 hours after, or just a few after? If I'd asked for a raise of hands, I'd probably get opinions all over the board. I'm here to tell you, our Sunday school lesson was on the Christmas message this morning, and I, I will touch on it briefly, but next Sunday, Drew is pre preparing a Christmas message. So Merry Christmas to you all, and God bless you, and look forward to having you back next Sunday for the Christmas message. We're going to continue our study in 1 John 4. You can open your Bibles there. I'd like to read verses 7 through 21. First John 4, 7, the first six verses we looked at a few weeks ago in, in trying or testing the spirits. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested love of God toward us, because God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. 
Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That verse is where we touched on Christmas just briefly. Verse 15. Whosoever, there, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hated his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that who, he who loveth God love his brother also. I doubt you were counting, but I said either love loveth or loved 26 times in those 15 verses. The title of the message this morning is Love is of God and a question to get our minds thinking, what is the definition of love? And you're thinking, well, this is such a, that's such a profound question. We, we talk love, we use the word a lot, but what is the definition of love? Last Saturday afternoon, we were blessed to be at Andrew and Jenny's wedding there in, in Iowa, and we witnessed where two hearts and two hands were joined to make one. Is that the picture of love? And we tend to think of love through, uh, can we say, levels of feelings with how it relates to those we know and appreciate. And that is an avenue of love while here on this earth, and I think it's a correct approach. But let me take it a step further and ask another question. What does, a love, what, what does God's love to mankind look like? And I know I read these verses quite rapidly, but if you, if you dissect them like I did throughout this last week and a half, you understand there's a lot in here. But what does God's love to you and I look like? And is it different than the feelings that we experience? Is it different than what we call, uh, we realize it as love? Frederick Lehman tried to describe God's love. Very familiar to you. The Frederick Lehman might not be, but here we go. He said this. Could we with ink the oceans fill, or were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? If that would happen, then he goes on, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. Verse 80, I mean, song number 82 in the Christian hymnal. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless, he says, and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Approximately 71% of the earth's surface is covered with water. And according to where, uh, the information I found, the oceans hold 96.5% of all the earth's water. So if 96.5% of all the water on the earth is in the oceans, if that would all be a change to, to ink, 
And then if the entire sky were, in, were a piece of paper and every man would be a writer with plenty of ink and, I mean, plenty of pens and instruments to write with, he is saying the oceans couldn't hold enough of ink and the skies alone couldn't contain what could be written about the love of God. His, his love is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. And we sing that song quite often. And when I get to that, that verse there, two or three, it always just, just kind of made my eyes bulge just a tad. If all that water, which you've ever been to the ocean, to look across it, but if that would turn to ink. And every man, it said, would start writing. In the sky, as big as they may seem, it, we couldn't, it, it couldn't be done because of God's love. So back to my earlier question is what well, we think about love. Is it different from what God views, God's view of love? And I would tend to say that, that it is. As we go through this message, here's something we want to look at. The principal instrument that God uses to bring spiritual maturity is not the fear of his judgment, but rather his great love for us. So keep that in mind. I will repeat that a number of times as we go through this message. The, the Bible concept of love means seeking the best for a person while asking for nothing in return. So uh, love is seeking the best for an individual or, or giving of our resources and, and also expecting nothing back. And I believe... Uh, God has fulfilled that concept to its fullest. While, while there are times that we desire the best for others with nothing expected in return, God, which, which we'll be focusing on this morning, out, out of a heart of love, and just picture him, he's, he's looking down, and he saw us or sees us in, in our miserable condition, saw us, I'm sorry, and instead of withdraw, withdrawing or looking the opposite direction, he, in turn, reached down and helped fallen mankind while we were still in our sin, while we were in a condition that is difficult, where we were difficult to love. Romans 5.8, but God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mentioned a little bit about levels of love. And can I say it this way? It's always easier to love someone when they love in return or when something is expected in return. But Romans 5.8 said, God, sitting there in glory, saw the pitiful state of mankind and said, you know what? I got a plan for those people. And that verse, uh, Romans 5.8, gets to the center core, if I can say it that way, of the word love. Did you ever think it's that as you go through life, uh, someone is, is difficult to love. But God, you know, who is our, our divine example, he revealed his love for you and I. And then he drew us to himself. And I think we have a, a picture of true love uh, right there. The first point is let us love one another, taken from verses 7 and 8. We get to the end of verse 6, and John concludes his warning about uh, the testing of spirits. And then he, he dives right back into one of his favorite subjects, and that is love. Verse 1, beloved, test the spirits. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. So yes, 
In the verses, we heard uh, the word love 26 times. You're probably going to hear it 126 more times here just shortly. Hate cannot characterize a true Christian. Hate cannot characterize a true Christian. So love is of God. So what are Christians? We're mere images of God. So love is a new nature of believers because it's the attitude of God's nature. Love is presented as a character quality which has its origin in God's nature. And as we are just flowing through, God is flowing through us, we also will have his character and his nature. Many understand, I think we all would say that love is very, very important. However, it's often looked upon as a feeling, as we talked about earlier, when in reality, true love is a choice. We make the choice. We make the decision. And much of what is called love in our culture today bears no resemblance to the holy love of God. And I I think we looked at at some of that already, but uh, who God is. Christian love is a special kind of love. And what is it? It's a lot, but it could be also defined as an outgoing flow of the indwelling love of God in our hearts. It has to do with the will. Love is a spontaneous giving of self. And again, because of what is within. We'll see that as we go on through here. We are who we are because of what is what of God living within. And maybe verse 19 helps to, helps to explain. We love him because he first loved us. And again there we see the choice as we mirror the character of God. So here's Sunday morning. We're sitting here in our best and worshiping. Let's just bump it ahead a couple of days. Are we, do we daily mirror the image of God? Agape love is giving for the benefit of the receiver. Agape love is a distinct aspect of God's being and flows from God like light radiates from the sun. And I think that's where we need to be. Our love for others is just a reflection of God within. So we're just going to continue and continue to flow. It's a principle by which we as Christians deliberately live. Again, because of what is within. Here we have it. We are who we are because the love of God is abiding within. We are different people because of God's love that is within. God is not just a loving God. God is love. Yes, he is a loving God, but so much more. So all that anyone could know about real love is rooted in the character and nature of the Almighty God. God is the origin. He's the origin. He's the originator and the orchestra, uh, orchestrator of all true love. Everything about love comes back to God. And like we see there in verse 7, let us love one another. Love is a God. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So the, our source of love comes from God. And all that we are, it's just a, uh, it's, it's a love of God flowing through us. John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? If ye have love one for another. So yes, people are going to observe our lives, will observe our lifestyle. And they can pick out our, our strong points and our failures quite quickly. But let's go back to this verse. Do people know that you are a disciple of God because you have love one for another? The presence 
of love in, in our lives is clear evidence that we are born of God. Everyone that is born of God loveth one another, and they know God. The principal instrument that God uses to bring us to spiritual maturity is not fear um, of his judgment, but rather his great love for us. Look at it this way. All of God's activity is a loving activity. So we said God is love. If God rules, he rules and, and reigns in love. If God judges, he makes decisions in love. The next one of my notes is just a little hard for me to say. If God allows illness, it's allowed in love. And church, I, I know where we are at. But God doesn't do anything in, 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 out of hatred for mankind. What we go through, we go through because of his great love for us. There are a number not here this morning because of illness. Many have recent experiences, but God allows this in love. God's love for us is free, his unmerited, and spontaneous. So I ask the question, is God's love evident in your life and in mine? Can others see the source of love abiding within It's, it's not in my notes, but in the recent, probably the past year, I was really struggling with a, a coworker. Showing up late, spending countless hours a day on, on cellular devices. And finally I got to the point, well, maybe I should, I, should, I should say something. And about that time, I read these verses, and I said, no, I need to love that brother. Because I will will give account for what I do and for what I say. Not, I'm not responsible for what he is doing. And although difficult, this is, these verses have helped me through so much. We go through life and we think, you know, we have our cookie-cutter things, what people should be like. And if they step outside, <clears throat> how do we respond? But here we see, God loved me. We, I need to love others. And just as true love in our lives can be, can be clearly seen by others. Verse 8 introduces a, a sad fact. He that loveth not, which is a story I just told you about, if we are not loving, said, he that loveth not knoweth not God. And then John tells us why. He said, for God is love. Brothers and sisters, if we are filled with the love of God, we will love. And if we are not, we, we will not. If a person is not kind... And not loving, it shows he does not know God. Why? Verse 8, for God is love. And we need to be a mirror of his character and reflect that in, in our lives. The second point, God reveals his love, taken verses 9 through 11. So we understand uh, we love others because God's love for us and in us. So here I have, there's a, Josh put a cup of water up here. He went downstairs and put water in the cup. And if I would take that and dump it upside down, what would come out? Coke? No, it would be water. So what is within is what is going to come out. The Bible tells us out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we fill our heart with God's love, it will spill out to those we meet and reach out to. Our love for others automatically informs the world 
of God's love in our hearts. We show God's love by our love for others. So how did God show his love for you and I? And that is obviously through Jesus Christ. He sent his one and only son to this earth. Why? Because he loves us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth. Some precious words, which we'll see a little bit later here in verse 15. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So I had to think back uh, to Jesus' time on this earth. You know, the very presence of, of Jesus on this earth would have been wonderful to experience. Sometimes I wish I could have been with the disciples there, just on the sidelines, watching some of what he did. And many did get that experience of seeing and walking and talking with Jesus. But Jesus did not come simply to reveal himself to the people of his day. His mission was not to ride through towns on a great white horse. He came so why? So that we, you and I, might live through him. God sent his son Jesus, why? To pay our sin debt. Are we able to get a hold of the level of love that God had and still has for whosoever believeth? The purpose of Jesus' mission was to provide a way of salvation so that sinners would not need to die spiritually. He sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And a little bit of a recap here. Jesus died even when we did not love him in return while we were still in our sin. He died for his enemies. He died for those who rebelled against him. He died for the world of lost sinners. And we're talking about love here. And only God could, the love of God could do something like this. Thinking about the love of God, I ask a question. How could Stephen say in Acts 7, 59 and 60, I read, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Some say that after he had said that, he, he died. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Lord, forgive them for their actions. You know, Lord, don't even charge them with this sin. How can that be said? When men were throwing rocks and they killed him, Stephen's response for his stoning came from a heart filled with the love of God. What did Jesus say? When he was crucified, say, pray, Luke 23, 34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Praying for forgiveness for those who crucified him during a time of intense agony. And can we get a hold of that level of love? That's just two examples there. There are more. But how do we respond? Verse 11 is similar to verse 7. Again, we see the need uh, to love others. God's love is to become, God's love in us is to become an incentive for us to show our love for others. In many areas, we're quick to say with confidence that, that the child of God is to mirror or reflect the image and the character of, of God. A Christian is like we say sometimes, little Christ. That is correct question do we love as christ first loved us are we allowing his love to th flow through us in a clear way 
I'm aware we're living in a day of grace. I'm aware we get caught up in, in trying and stressful situations. But as a whole, is your character reflecting the love of Christ? Do we love to the level that Christ showed by his example? People who are not born of God often have a restricted kind of love, a love with, with boundaries and conditions. They have a tendency only to love those who, love, who are lovable or those who agree with them or those who love them in return. But back to the example of Stephen and Jesus, have we, do we understand, do we, do we have the ability to love those who are hard to love? And that's possible when we allow that love of God to flow through us. But there's a key point to consider in, in these verses, and that is that we cannot love to the level that Jesus loved on our own strength. We cannot love to that level on our own strength. So don't just say, uh, well, I don't, I don't need Jesus in my life. I can, I can do this on my own. Kind of like Ahaz said in our Sunday school lesson, we know that does not work. We cannot love on our own strength. It starts by being filled with the love of God. First filled with his love, and then, and only then, can we love as we should. The principal instrument that God uses to bring us to spiritual maturity is not fear of his judgment, but rather his great love for us. Third point, verses 12 through 14, no man has seen God. When, when love abides with, um, in our hearts, our, our loving actions and our attitudes make the invisible God visible to the world. Did we get that? When we are responding out of love, we're actually making the invisible God visible to those that we come in contact with. The believer's love, our love for others, is proof that God's living within. So people observe the child of God, loving one another. They get a vision of what God is like, even though no man has ever, ever seen God. A few months ago, I shared an uh, illustration about a lady who bought socks and shoes for a boy who was out in the streets and he was cold. And he said, are, are you God's wife? And there we see that. People get a, a picture of what God is like, even though no man has ever seen God. People in this world see God by seeing him in and through his people. So people in this world will see God through you. Are we leaving and painting a clear picture? It's kind of a, a staggering thought that uh, our love for God is made perfect, as these verses say, or is made more complete when we show love to others. Yes, the unseen God has been revealed through his son, Jesus Christ, but is now also being revealed in the hearts of you and I through the avenue of how we express our love for others. When God's people practice genuine love for others, it's uh, the goal of God's love has been reached. And here we see it again. His love is perfected in us. Obeying God's commands and loving others is a source of confidence. We're starting to build up what is in beside. Loving one another is critical to the church's survival and witness. Maybe not everyone knows you attend Myerstown, but many do. Loving one another is critical to the church's survival and witness. Brothers and sisters, unbelievers need to see God through the lives of his children. Can people see Jesus Christ in you, and can they see Jesus Christ in me? Verse 13, we see 
was one of the tests for assurance of salvation. John wrote about loving one another in verses 12 and 13. Then he adds, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he is in us because why he has given us of his spirit. Our love and the way we act and respond in life, our love is a proof that God is abiding within. And I see a picture of of unity clearly painted here. Through love, we are one with God. Are we responding correctly? Meadow Simons, I quote, in a letter of consolation to a troubled sister wrote, Yes, my dear sister, as long as you feel such a spirit in you, desiring to follow that which is good and abhorring that which is evil, even though the remnant of sin is not entirely dead in you, as was also true in all the saints from the beginning, then you may know with certainty that you are a child of God, that you will inherit the kingdom of joy with all his saints. No, today we are not standing here perfect, but is the desire within to do his will. Through love, we are one with God. This coming Saturday, we're planning to celebrate what we see in verse 14, because the baby in the manger was God's answer to sin. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Earlier, verse 12, we were reminded that no man has seen God. Then here in verse 14, we see we have seen and do testify that God sent Jesus Christ to be the Savior, a testimony of his love and another beautiful, beautiful picture. God just continues to reveal his love for you and I. Point four, all who confess, verses 15 through 17. 31% of the world are Christians. If that didn't shock you, here, let me try again. 65% in the United States identify themselves as Christians. I'm not here to question statistics. But to point out that the Bible confesses that all who confess, all who acknowledge, all who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God may claim the promise that God abides in them and they in God. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John says, God dwelleth in him and he in God. To confess that Jesus is Lord is to acknowledge that Jesus Christ has power and authority over us. I trust we are there. If we say that Jesus is master in our lives, it means we submit to him and his will. What does that mean? To submit to his will is to deny our will. To abide in Christ is to be dead to self. 1 Peter 2.24 who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Jesus Christ paid our sin debt. Jesus Christ is living within. And here it comes up again. We are different because of him. We are dead to sin, are living a righteous life, We are loving others, for we have been healed by Christ. Those who confess Jesus as Lord invite him 
to dwell within. And to abide in God is to remain in spiritual unity with the Father and with the Son. And notice notice the unity stress there in, in verse 16. And we have known and believe the love of God in us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in him dwelleth in God, and God in him. Beautiful verse. God's love has been implanted into the heart of every believer. God's love is in us, and we are in him. Um, Sunday school lesson, Emmanuel, God with us. What else happens? We're filled with confidence. We have known and believe the love that God has for us. The presence of God's love in us assures the individual of his union with God. Unity, togetherness, oneness with with God. And we're confidently aware that we abide with him. And I trust this morning we uh, all know that God's love fills the heart of every believer. And every believer will be a different person when filled with his love and with the Holy Spirit. This time of the year, we may be running here and there this Christmas season, taking care of this, purchasing that. And it's, it's rightly important to get that right gift for that special someone in your life. I don't doubt that. However, far, far above the importance of that special presence, present is your relationship with the Lord. Not denying the fact that that special gift is important, but far above that is your relationship with the Lord. The peace, the assurance, and the, the confidence is possible when we are right with the Master and He is confidently abiding within. It's Jesus living and at home in your heart this morning. Verse 17, herein is our love made perfect, referring back to verse 16. And we see another ingredient added to our lives when, Lord, when God reigns in our, within. That is boldness by dwelling in, in love and, and, and having God dwelling in us. A believer can gain a priceless, priceless assurance. When, when we live um, with Christ, our love grows more perfect, more complete. And as a result, boldness enters in and with that boldness we're not going to be ashamed or we're not going to be embarrassed on the day of judgment but instead we'll be able to face our maker with joy and confidence why because he loves us and we love him feelings of guilt and remorse are going to be in the hearts of those who refuse to believe God's word but confidence and boldness will be part with those who truly know God The principal instrument that God brings us to to spiritual maturity is not the fear of his judgment, but his great love for us. God doesn't want us to fear, which brings us to the last point, no fear in love, verses 18 to 21. We looked at a number of ingredients that God's love will add to our lives, and now John points out something that that we will not have, and that is there will be an absence of fear. Fear of God is based on dread of God's punishment. It's the, referring to the opposite of the confidence that we see in the previous verse. But God's love for us renders that dread to be obsolete. 
So you're saying we're not going to have any fear? No. Fear is still part of the Christian walk in, in a sense of, of a profound reverence and unwillingness to uh, violate God's command and his trust in us. As believers, we don't have no fear of the eternal rejection and, and God's judgment, but we'll continue to serve him with reverence and godly fear. We oftentimes will sing... I'm going to get the right verse. Here it is. Come, uh, come, gracious spirit, heavenly dove, the light of truth to us display and make us know and choose the way, thy way. So we want to know the Lord's way. We want to choose that and go in his way. And the songwriter goes on and he, he puts it this way. Plant holy fear in every heart. Remember I just said the love of God is implanted in our hearts. Now this verse is saying plant holy fear. Why? Plant holy fear in every heart, and he spells it out so clearly, that we from God may never depart. So we're not, we don't become Christians and just live a haphazard life. No, we're diligent, and we're making that fear that is within keeps us from doing what is wrong. Plant that holy fear so we don't, don't depart from the truth, so we stay with God, and so we do not apostatize. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The fear of the Lord, not judgment, not what he can do to us, but we have that fear within that, wait a minute, I can't do this, say this, go here, do that because that's going to take me away from the Lord and that fear keeps me with him and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. John makes it clear we will not fear the one who loves us perfectly. His perfect love eliminates all dread of what he can do to us. However, if we're afraid of what he could do to us, it shows we're not fully convinced that he loves us. No fear is referring to the, abs, the, the, the absence of God's wrath towards us because of his love that he has for us. Matthew 10, 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Brothers and sisters, we do not live in a daily fear of God's anger, but we do live in a godly fear. And we will live righteous lives that please our maker. Verse 19, again, we love him because he first loved us. Our love for him is a result of his love for us. God always comes first in loving us, and we respond by loving him. So what is our love? It's a copy of his love. He originates love, and we follow his example. The more we realize how much God loves us, the more we realize our obligation to love him in return. The more we realize how much he loves us, the more we realize our obligation to love him in return. And that sentence alone just draws us to him and keeps us on the straight and narrow. Because we know we can't do things that displease him because of his love for us. The statement there in verse 19 is a one-line summary describing the primary motives for practicing good ethical Christian conduct. That Because we love him, he loves us, and we in return, because he first loved us, we just do want to do what we can to please him. Our love, if it exists and, and mirrors God's love, is not our doing, but God's doing, because we're just revealing what is inside, like the cup of water. The principal instrument that God uses to bring us to spiritual maturity is not the fear of his judgment, but rather his great love for us. God does not scare us to verse 15. 
God does not scare us back to verse 15, so we hasten to him in absolute fear. So what does God do? He exhibits his love in such a compassionate, caring way that in return we are drawn to his love. And along with that, within we have that desire to obey him and to serve him faithfully. And brothers and sisters, I hope that's where we are all at here this morning. John does give us a warning in verse 20. The height of hypocrisy is to claim the love of God while withholding love to others, from others. Kind of like that story I shared earlier about what I was facing. And he uses some harsh words. Those who confess to love God but cannot get along with others, according to John, it says he is a liar. And he gives a clear reason. How can someone say, yep, I love God, whom they have never seen, but yet struggle to get along with a brother whom they have seen? Then the final verse, verse 21, And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Command from Jesus. All who love God will demonstrate love to others. We're driven to show our love to others because of what is filling our hearts and and our lives. Love is of God, and since God abides within, we too are going to mirror his love, and we're going to bless those that we come in contact with. So my encouragement for this morning, press on, be faithful, allow God's love to flow through you, not only this Christmas season, each and every day of our lives. Let's not fall into the trap of verse 8 or 20, but just love as we have first been loved. This morning, we're going to kneel for prayer. If it's not inconvenient for you, I invite you to do so. Let's kneel for prayer.